Hello, you guys. Hello, ladies. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Football Frame of Mind podcast. Uh, we are going to continue our What If series uh, and, of course, our top five segment. Uh, so before we even get into that, how you doing, bro? I'm good. I think we're going to have some really cool topics to touch on today in the top five segment. It's going to be pretty interesting, too, if you guys want to stick around. Thank you. I like it. All right. All right. So I'll start, I guess, uh, with my what if scenario, man. So mine is um, what if the Rams didn't leave St. Louis, man? Um, there's a lot to go into with that. Uh, but the gist of it is the Rams obviously were in Los Angeles to begin with, right? It was their team in L.A., and then uh, they moved to St. Louis, right? So throughout that whole process, we, you know, ended up winning the championship in 99 and had a good run throughout the early 2000s, if you ask me, man. Chances to win multiple Super Bowls with good players, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, but as you know, free agency is a killer of all teams at times, good teams at times. And that was one of the things, man, that kind of hurt the team, obviously. And uh, but I think bigger picture, had they stayed there and really put the funds into the team, I think we could have built our team up. I mean, I look at certain scenarios like drafting Matthew Stafford, you know, because the year that the Lions went uh, 0-16, um, the Rams finished one in 15. So they could have got Matthew Stafford in the next draft. You know what I'm saying? And don't get me wrong. I, I love, I, I like Sam Bradford. I'm going to say I love him, but I like Sam Bradford if he came out the year before. And he didn't do that. So I felt like, nah, we really we're not really rebuilding, you know what I'm saying? We just kind of, I felt like we were just kind of, I guess, going through emotions in a sense. But, you know, we still put up some winning seasons, though. You know, that's the thing. Like, there were chances for us to make the playoffs, uh, and we ultimately finished the year, at least one year. I don't know if that was Sam Bradford's first year or whatever, but that was the year the Seahawks made the playoffs with a losing record. They were the first team to do that ever. But the last game of the season came down to the division, right? So I was like, man, all right, maybe maybe next year. Then the football guys told us, no, nah, we're not going to do that. We're going to give you the toughest schedule ever. <laughs> and we ended up losing. So you could see things trending in the wrong direction, right? So those are just some football things, right, going into my what-if scenario. So then we get into logistics, right? So the stadium situation was not a good one. Let's just say that, right? So the Rams obviously had the Edward Jones Dome, which is still active and being used by the Battle Hawks, I believe, of the XFL. And mm -hmm. concerts, whatever. But when it was built in 96, you had to keep it up to code, right? 
So a few stadiums got built within that time frame. You got Reliance Stadium. I don't know what it's called right now, but Reliance Stadium for mm -hmm. the Texans was built. Ford Field was built. Heinz Field was built. Those are the Lions and the Steelers, respectively. So those are some major stadiums being built. Lucas Oil, too. What was that? Lucas Oil Stadium, too. Exactly. So some some great stadiums, you know, being built at mm -hmm. that time. So I think if, I, if my notes are correct, the NFL issued a mandate for the Edward Jones Dome. Either get it up to code by 2005 or build a new one. So 2005 came along and there was no stadium. And it wasn't up to code. Like, I think it was 32 teams at the time. I think our stadium was probably bottom 50% still. You know what I'm saying? So, and don't get me wrong. I went to some games, and I felt like it was a good environment, man. People was engaged in the game. You know, it was good, right? But stadium's still not up to code, especially as the goal for a stadium is to host the Super Bowl, right? So when you don't have your stadium up to code, you're not hosting anything. You know what I'm saying? Now, maybe when we first mm -hmm. built it, we could have hosted a Super Bowl, but 10 years, 11 years after that, no. So the mandate was put in in 05, I believe. And then before the Rams left in 15, which was major news as far as sports is concerned, the next mandate was like, look, you either get funding from the city and build the team, or not build the team, but build a new stadium. So there was a vote for multiple proposals that never got off the floor, you know? And obviously, you know, it takes tax dollars and add the fact that the team wasn't winning. If the team was winning, mm -hmm. I think it would have helped a lot, but the team wasn't winning. And I think the main thing that put this whole what if scenario in motion was Georgia Frontier dying. When she died, the St. Louis Rams did too, honestly, because it was her idea. And she brought them there and it worked out, you know, but, you know, people in the organization obviously were just kind of waiting for, you know, for their chance to do it. Right. Her kids didn't want the team and Stan Kroenke became the majority owner. Stan Kroenke. Mm -hmm. He's already in L.A. He, he has many businesses in L.A., many uh, opportunities. So when it came time to it, the St. Louis market probably wasn't going to fit his agenda. And when he got in there, I already knew what was up. He was going to stall and stall and stall. So it don't even matter what we did. They was leaving right after that. Right. And nobody buys a, a whatever lot for how many acres it was to build condos that was built for a stadium, you know? Mm -hmm. So obviously, you know, fast forward, they've, you know, moved um, and uh, they built SoFi stadium there, which is beautiful. Honestly, it's a beautiful stadium. So, but going into the, the choice to relocate when the owners um, were convening to vote on this, Obviously, it was three scenarios, right? 
everybody stay where they at, whatever, right? That's one scenario. The second scenario is the Chargers and the Raiders uh, join and the Rams stay where they at. But the Raiders and the Chargers were supposed to be in the same stadium together. That was going to be their thing. They were going to go to L.A. and do that. But the third scenario, which came after they had a break, was Stan Kroenke having a investor that was going to put up a billion dollars along with his billion dollars, which means that the other owners don't have to put up much money for this to go through. Easier situation. Exactly. Easier situation. Not enough, uh, not too much going on. So now, obviously, that was the easier way to go. So when you go that way, now the Raiders are pushed out, which means it's just why they're in Las, Las Vegas right now, because they were able to get land and build a new stadium that they've been trying to build for, it seemed like, since Al Davis bought the team in the 60s. They've been trying to do that that mm -hmm. long. So they finally got it. Beautiful stadium, new name change, new fans. And it seemed like as far as you're talking about the fan base, it doesn't really matter, right? They still love their Raiders regardless, mm -hmm. right? So, but for our situation, it wasn't really like that. You know, people had already purchased uh, season tickets. So now the team's leaving. We already know that. So obviously the product on the field wasn't going to be there now. So my what-if scenario starts now, right? So had they stayed? And maybe drafted Matt Ryan, not Matt Ryan, but um, Matthew Stafford. And I think that changes things, man. I just think a lot of focus wasn't on the right places, which it just seemed like after Georgia Frontier died, we just didn't have the same giddy up as we did in the past decade, you know? Because mm. with those teams, we still had a chance to win some games. They weren't really bad teams until – uh Spagnolo and Scott Linehan. Because after that Super Bowl, we had after that Super Bowl, we had Matt uh, Mike Martz, who was an offensive mm -hmm. guru. That's why we mm -hmm. were really in some games because we lost a lot of defensive players due to free agency. And we didn't you draft, right. We didn't draft in there, everybody. What'd you say? I didn't hear you. I said y'all. I think damn near everybody that was for that offense, besides Kurt Warner and Marshall Falk, y'all still had Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holt. So, I mean, y'all just built around whatever you had left. Yeah, right. But, you know, like I said, people get old, man. And that's just kind of what it, what it was, man. And um, as those people get older, man, you got to bring in some fresh talent. And we didn't do that, man. I can count maybe like 10 first-round picks over the next 10 years that really didn't do nothing. You know, and that's just never a way to win. And you're already kind of a small market. I put us in Chicago probably in the same thing because we Midwest teams. So it's not really that much of a desired spot for free agents, because especially for football free agents, because it's cold when you play or it gets colder as you play. So that's not somewhere you really want to be at. You know what I'm saying? So. Uh, we didn't get a lot of free agents, but I feel like under better leadership, I think the Rams wouldn't even got to that point. I don't think we did, but it wasn't much um, emphasis on scouting 
and developing. Like, because think of the coaches I named, Scott Linehan, Spagnolo, and we hit actually success with Jeff Fisher, surprisingly. We actually started to go back up with him. See what I'm saying? Leadership. He was able to wear many hats. Those other guys weren't. They were strictly football, not front office guys. When Jeff Fisher got there, he started to bring in dudes like a Chris Long, like a Robert Quinn. Then you luck up and get uh, Ty Gurley, who ended up being a big piece of the new Los Angeles Rams. So you get him. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Obviously, you thought you was going to have something, but then you start signing people like Nick Foles, you know what I'm saying, who I don't know how you go from pro bowler to bench player to Super Bowl MVP back to bench player, about to lead the Eagles to the playoffs again, and then do the same thing with the Chicago Bears, and then back to bench player. <laughs> like, come and on. Jacksonville, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So you go from all of this, but you wait to come to St. Louis and do that. I was so happy when we got him. I was like, bro, man, he's a pro bowler, man. I think he's ready to shine. Nope. <clears throat> nope. Nope. Didn't even <clears throat> do that. So – like I said, mm -hmm. I just think they if they would have stayed, we might have built a new stadium. But realistically speaking, I don't know if they stay even longer than that, though. Like, if they stayed longer than when they left, like it's 2016 or something like that, like, I don't think they stay until the 2020s, though, to be honest with you. Because, yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? You would have needed some. You would have needed some, some Dom's to fall, or you just would have needed somebody. You know, to say, you know what? No, I can turn this into something. Like it, it's possible, and it's not implausible. But you would have needed some things to go maybe not so realistically in most people's eyes. Yeah, like I said, man, I agree. I I was just like looking at it, and I was like, man, I don't think we stay anyway. Because the city wasn't behind the team. And, you know, with Stan Kroenke wanting to leave anyway, his way or the highway was how it goes. You know what I'm saying? So I just think bigger picture, if they didn't leave and they put the right pieces in place, I think we might have actually went maybe back to building a perennial playoff team. I'm not going to say we'll win a Super Bowl. But I do think drafting, winning that game against Detroit kind of put everything in motion. Because we didn't draft anybody worth drafting after that, you know? Like, you had a chance to draft Matthew Stafford, who was unquestionably the number one player coming out that year. And you see what he did with Detroit. They instantly were a mm -hmm. better team, which is not hard. But they won more games than they won the year prior. Y'all were banking on what Bradford showed. Y'all were banking on what Bradford showed the year before. Just like how you said y'all could have. Like, he should. It came out a year early. Y'all were banking on that. I definitely would have took Stafford even without knowing what was to come. Like, I just feel like he had more ceiling. Yeah, you know, so I think picked a lineman that didn't even play like three years in the league. Like, he didn't play that much. Like, he was picked number two and didn't play like three years. You know what I'm saying? Don't know if it was injury, skill, whatever. But that was just kind of the way it goes, man. And that's the way it went. So I think if if they would have stayed, I think it would have worked out, but it would have took something else. You know, like I said, Jeff Fisher, I think, had it going in the right place. 
He did for for a good little minute. He had it going. The defense was good, man. All we needed was a quarterback. I mean, James Laurinaitis, like I said, um, Joe Lyon Dunbar, who knocked out, um, I want to say, Alex Smith. And that's what led Kaepernick into his ascension mm-hmm. to the top. Dunbar was, Dunbar was good for the Saints, too. Exactly. So, you know, defensive-wise, we was good, man. We had TJ mm-hmm. McDonald and a guy named McLeod in the back end. They was out there clowning. It was like Robin McLeod, I think. Yep, they was out there hitting folks, man. T.J. McDonald was a hitter anyway. And then you throw in Janoris Jenkins on the other side. Come on now. That defense was sick, bro. And then Quinn Uh and Chris Long. And I think we picked up, uh, goddamn, what's his name? Nick Furley in free agency. So we had Uh a good defense, man. We was out there climbing. Just needed a quarterback, man. That's it. That's it, because, I mean, offensively, we had players, too. Uh, Stedman Bailey, who ended up getting shot in the head, which ended up his career. But before that, him and Tavon Austin, if y'all even watch college football, them two dudes in college was freaking amazing. So Tavon, Tavon was freaking bro. Bro, you got Tavon Austin, who's going to be your kick returner, punt returner, slot guy, running back, wildcat quarterback, whatever you needed him to do. He was going to do that. You know what I'm saying? Then we had a guy named uh, Amendola. I think you know him. Danny Amendola, he uh, he left St. Louis in free agency. He signed with us because Wes Welker left in free agency to go play with Peyton Manning. And Danny Amendola pretty much turned into our slot guy. Then we ended up winning two or three Super Bowls with him. So, But before that, he was damn near mm-hmm. our number one. Oh, he was good though. He was damn near our number one. He took the top off the defense, man. So, like I said, man, all centers around quarterback. And that's why I said, man, us not us winning that game against Detroit when they went 0-16 changed everything for, for the Rams, man. Because that would have gave us our quarterback for the next 10 years. And, and instead of getting um, Sam Bradford for maybe six years, you know what I'm saying? And like I said, mm-hmm. I just it was just rough, man. It was a rough time, man. But I do think, man, we had it going right, but no quarterback. And no and the thing that really hurt y'all is that you took Bradford and then he dealt with those injuries and he just was never developing how he was supposed to develop. And he didn't start <laughs> showing promise of that development until after he left St. Louis and he got the play with that he was starting to show windows of College. Obviously, never, but he just never got off the ground. Man. Just injuries and injuries, and just could not put it together. And the second he left, it's like, oh, I'm not gonna be hurt no more. Oh, hey, that's a complete pass. Hey, I can complete with seventy percent of my passes. Right, man, and that that was just the the that was just kind of it. Especially when he tore his ACL, then came back mm-hmm. and then tore it again. That was mm-hmm. that was the end, right? That was another point that kind of stuck a fork in us right there. Because mm-hmm. when he got hurt, I think we was playing good. And then he got hurt, mm-hmm. which kind of made our season go down. But kind of like mm-hmm. when Randall Cunningham got hurt with the Eagles and they had this crazy defense. Mm-hmm. Remember I told you Jerome Brown and uh, all those other guys on defense, Reggie it's White? Right, now, yeah. right. They finished like 6-10 and 10 or whatever. But their defense was so good that it kept them from losing a lot of games. So coming in the next season, 
you already know, hey, we getting Randall back, so now we're going to win again. With us, we was hoping the same thing. All right, Sam Bradford's coming back. We can we can play good defense and just be in some games. We don't need him to do too much. Then he get mm-hmm. hurt. He looked good. He looked good before the injury. He looked like he was starting to figure it out. Man, he looked really good, man. And it just, you know, it just didn't work out, man. And uh, like I said, his career was just kind of like that. It was just mid. That was it, man. Just mm-hmm. mid. He, he did all right, but he wasn't a bust because he had some success. So, but. Given him being the last guy to get those crazy rookie deals, he did not live up mm-hmm. to that at all. Like, yeah, they put a cap on it. Yeah, right mm-hmm. after that, right? Because think about it. Okay, think about this. Scenario. It was Marcus Russell and him who got them big contracts. No, they all did, dog. They all did. Like I said, Jamarcus Russell. You know what I'm saying? Those like, are the two most notable names. He got 60, right? So Sam Bradford got 80. So imagine the next year with Cam Newton coming out. Think about imagine that. what that kind of money tra- imagine what that kind of money translates to in today's game. That's damn near. You're talking like 150 million or more for a guy that never took a snap. That's the crazy thing. Exactly. So you know, it never he never lived up to it. You know what I'm saying? And now you think about how it's capped and everything. Now you're starting to, it doesn't really matter because now it's all the top guy gets the most money, right? About 45, 50 million dollars, maybe with incentives or something like that. But it keeps you motivated to make mm-hmm. that big money, you know. When you come in making it, it's not it's not like that, you know. So, but like I said, if they didn't leave, I think the league would be different. It would be a a crazy time because now St. Louis has a soccer team. They was trying to get a basketball team. Like, I think if they stayed, those scenarios today would be no-brainers. Because had they stayed and showed that you could run an NFL team like you're supposed to, the NBA have no no problem giving you an NBA franchise because they know you're going to take care of them. Uh, they will have no problem giving you a soccer team, which ultimately happens. But you you know you kind of fumbled the bag there, and the city kind of did too, man. Wasn't a lot of support, man. So, but like I said, man, it happens when you win, man. But that's my what if scenario. Long winded, but that's my what if scenario. That that's that's a scenario that has a lot of layers, and you can't just kind of brush over it. You kind of have to dig into the layers and kind of explain things because otherwise, a lot of these people. Either a one don't remember all that, or two they remember. Maybe they don't. You really need those details to be able to put all the pieces together. Because I mean, you're gonna wake up one day and be like, "Oh, we just want to move the team." Obviously, there was, there was a lot of things that contributed to that. Man, a whole lot of layers, man. And being there, I like seeing it was fucking. It was crazy. Not not supposed to be cursing, but it was definitely it was it was no, wild. I mean, me and you. Me and you agree. Like, there's a lot of these teams. I say a lot, but there's these teams that move that they genuinely were in a good spot. Now, St. Louis may not have been the most favorable place, but I mean, San Diego wasn't even the most favorable place either for the Chargers. But it was theirs. They didn't have to share anything with nobody. It was their brand. It was their area. Man, it just feel like it just felt 
like original. It didn't feel generic or it felt like, oh, we're just going to put this here for money or whatever. Like, how is now? Just like how I wish the Raiders could have got their freaking stadium in Oakland. But obviously, they were just never going to get that, unfortunately. Because those teams in those places, man, it's just it's just better. Another one. Another one we don't talk about is San Francisco, man. Like, they're not even in yeah, San Francisco they, anymore. They're in, like, Santa they, they Clara. Redid, they could have made a new candlestick or they could have renovated candlestick, kind of like how they've been talking for years and years about redoing Soldier Field. But they're probably going to be getting a new stadium, too. Yeah. And you know what I'm saying? Like I, I, like I said, man, I think it goes into winning, dog. Like, like mm-hmm. I, I say, I say it like, like, like what you're saying, right? So, so Katrina happened, right? So, yep, and they were considering that, a relocal. Right, right. Before that, right. Before that, they was not even, they weren't, Saints weren't really winning for real, right? Not too much. Mm-hmm. So, at all. The question starts to be, all right, are we really going to keep the Saints here, right? But Katrina mm-hmm. happened and the stadium was they destroyed, right? So now they have no choice but to build a new stadium. And the city, and there's no way the city is going to let you move after that happens, right? So you, and then you win and your stadium gets even more crazy now. Now, Mm -hmm. the stadium gets rebuilt. Crazy Monday night game, I remember. It was beautiful to see them back in the Atlanta when Steve Gleason blocked that freaking punt. Exactly. Beautiful. They made a statue for it and everything. But now, now, uh, old man Benson, you know, is no longer with us, right? But his wife's yeah. taking over, and it seems Fuck like it's in a good spot, though. It's in a mm-hmm. real good spot. You get naming rights now. It's not just the Superdome anymore. Like, it's a lot more. Like, it just seems like it's fitting. So that's my whole thing, mm-hmm. man. When you're moving and things happen to your city, man, it's a, you're supposed to have good leadership. And we just didn't mm-hmm. have that, man. The crazy thing about that situation before I get into mine, the season before Katrina hit, they were three and thirteen. So everything was trending in that direction. They were in talks to move the team to what it was either Oklahoma City or they were talking about San Antonio. They're gonna try to move the team elsewhere. But then that happened and like I don't know, bro. It's just like everybody came together and everything just kind of worked together for the better good. You know what I mean? Everybody came together and bringing Sean Payton and bringing Drew Brees, obviously. All the rest is history, but that is a really cool situation how they pretty much saved a freaking franchise. Sure did, man. But uh, my what if you're speaking about the Saints, and uh, you know, I'm not a fan of the Rams, but this has something to do with them as well. It may be one of the most controversial situations that has ever transpired in the NFL game. I watched it live. I'm talking about tours. I'm talking about the no call. What if in the 2019 NFC title game when Courtney, not Courtney Roby, uh, I forget the guy, Mikel Roby Coleman, whatever his name is. How did all pass interference on that play? How does that change the outlook of that season? And how does that change the outlook of, I don't know, the next couple of years after that? Because you got to think, New Orleans, this was kind of like in the beginning, in the middle of their playoff struggles where 
they're the favorite coming out of the NFC almost every year, but they're running into these very just unfortunate circumstances every year. We're talking about the Minneapolis miracle. We're talking about this game. We're talking about man, even if you go even earlier than that, they had probably their best team in like 2011, and they blew it against the Niners. And they would have ended up playing the Giants, and they would have got to play Brady. But the crazy thing about this game is this is probably one of their best teams, and it comes down to a pretty routine pass interference call that doesn't get called. The Saints, you got to like this. I brought up the stats. So let's see. So at this point in the game, we're late in the fourth quarter. We're less than two minutes left in the game. The Orleans is driving. They're looking like Breeze is already putting the money drive together. We're trying to chew clock. We're trying to get in the end zone and seal the game. Well, man, we're at a minute 48 in the fourth. We're at the 13-yard line, and Breeze just throws a routine ball to the right sideline. And, man, when I say that guy just flat out hit him with the ball in the same area, like it was so blatantly obvious. Man. And anybody watching that game, I don't know if you watched it, but I remember watching that game and just sitting there like, okay, cool, they're going to throw a flag. And I'm looking, I'm like, I don't hear a whistle. Man. Why is there no flag? And I'm just like, it's blatant. Like, I've seen plays where there's been really questionable calls, but I'm like, this dude literally pelayed this man before the ball even got there. Dude, controversy. Everybody's shaking their head like, what? I've never seen Sean Keaton about lose his damn top because the Saints literally have the game in their hand. This is their chance to go back to the Super Bowl for the first time since 2010. And this literally changed the game because now you don't call that. It's four down. Saints have to kick a field goal. The Rams get the ball back with a minute 41 left. They chew the clock and they drive down the field and they kick a field goal to go into overtime. Up to this point, Breeze has had an okay game. He's got two touchdowns. Golf's got a touchdown and he's got an interception. So we go into overtime. Saints get the ball first. They opt to get the ball first. Uh, we're thinking, okay, New Orleans is going to go down the field. They're going to score a touchdown. We're going to finish this. They're hot, whatever. Saints get the ball back. Breeze throws two incomplete passes, hands the ball to Mark Ingram. Alabama guy uh, gets negative six yards. We get down and we're at a second and 16 up to this point. Breeze drops back, throws an interception. LA gets the ball back, kick field goal game and over with them. All this could have been avoided, but if we're just looking at the bigger picture, the Saints, so let's just say that call goes the other way and you won't get the ball, score a touchdown. The whole shebang. You're going to get a Breeze and Brady Super Bowl, which may have been one of the greatest matchups that we've never gotten. That could have been tabled numerous times. Mm. And, and, I, and I don't like to say this, but I think the Saints could have had New England's number. And just take instance, if New Orleans runs the table, this could be every reason for either one of the scenarios. Either Breeze can ride to the sunset, because now he's got two rings. He's 2-2 two two in the Super Bowl. And it's probably good chance it's in the Super Bowl MVP on top of his other one. He probably rides off in the sunset. Or two, they run the table back, and I don't see a lot of things going the same way. Like, I see them, if he comes back and they run it again, they're going to be back. Like, they're going to be in it. But I really think 
that the way that the Saints kept losing, mainly this game, I think it really wore on Drew Brees because I feel like he was really giving his all, and he finally had like a top five defense. Man, the offense was clicking. Everything was right. And I think, dude, just like how we said with Matt Ryan in Super Bowl 51, you lose like that that many times when you know damn well that you shouldn't be losing, mm-hmm. especially when you're not even always the main cause, man, that wears on you. Yeah. And you got to think, man, and you're getting older. Every year that goes by for a quarterback going closer to 40, man, like most quarterbacks cannot play till they're 40. Most quarterbacks are done by 33, 34 tops most of the time. Obviously, we see Brady play like 42, 43, whatever it was. But I think that, man, that really three or four years on a row, they were the favorite. And just the crazy things happen. But this game, like, this game could have been a routine, just a regular, hey, we're going to call pass interference. That puts the Saints in a better position. They're probably going to go down and score win the game. They win that game. Yeah, I could see Breeze either riding off or they could be an, another favored NFC contender to go back to the Super Bowl again. But I think that this really messed things up for them because it just they just couldn't shake it, man. It just felt like every year they were in the position to win. And it's just – and they had another questionable call like that with the Vikings, I think, a year or two later, where it's just like, man, like we just cannot get it done. And you got to think, then Breeze, Breeze and them, they have a really good team. They play in Tampa. They beat Tampa every game in the regular season. They get to the playoffs, and Brady puts him out. <laughs> and then that's a story. It. But, I mean, I think it definitely could have uh, – obviously, we don't talk about – a lot of people don't talk about Breeze in a, a good limelight because he's only got one ring, and a lot of people think that was a fluke. That they uh they ran the table and beat Peyton Manning, but I mean, how is that a fluke? I don't understand that. Because because I think a lot of people say that because they could never get back to that game, and they would just always find a way to lose in key moments. But I mean, man, like if they win that game and they went on, they go win another one. You got to be talking about him top five. Even I think he's already top five. But you walk in there with two rings and you got all these passing records and you're notoriously probably the most accurate passer in NFL history. I think it helps boost morale for the Saints. It could help kickstart the rebuild. I mean, there's so many different scenarios you could find yourself in because if he leaves, now you're trying to figure out, okay, who's the next guy going to be? You know what I mean? I this is 2019. Mahomes has already been drafted by this point. So, I mean, you're trying to find your quarterback of the future. You're trying to draft a guy. You're trying to trade for a guy. There's so many different scenarios. But I think the biggest thing is if they call that play, nine times out of ten, unless something stupid happens, they're going to win that game and got a legit chance to go on next next two weeks or whatever. And they got a chance to knock on Brady. That's a match I always wanted to see. The Breeze beat Peyton at the biggest stage. There are always talks of already oh, because he's got these many rings. If they go on and they win that game, we're having a much different conversation because now, hey, I don't have as many rings as you, but I beat you. Biggest stage, questionable, better team, whatever. Uh, there's so many what ifs for the situation. It could go one in a million different directions. But I mean, you know as well as I know that they should have called that play. And you know if they call that pass interference call, New Orleans is going to get in the end zone. They're not going to let that game get to overtime. They're going to chew the rest of that clock. They're going to get in the end zone. They're going to win the game. And then we're probably going to get one of the best matchups we've seen in a really long time in the Super Bowl. So, I mean, 
it, it's one of those things where man, it just really sucked. Not even being from here and liking them, but just seeing from a perspective that I think that game really opened people's eyes to man, like what's going on? Because there's no way you miss that call unless there's money involved or just some kind of incentive because, and I feel like ever since then, people it's become more of a prevalent conversation. Like, oh man, how do we know these games aren't rigged? And oh, that was a very questionable thing that happened. Or man, like what's going? Like you know what I mean? I think that game really opened Pandora's box, and everybody's like, man, like something's not right. Like there's no way we should be having this conversation right now. Yeah, I mean, all right. So great, great what if, man? Because that's that's like that was that was a big one. So I watched that game live. And um, the little lady that worked with me was watching it too. And I look at her, I was like, ain't no flag for that, huh? You know, ain't no flag for that, you know? So I'm sitting there wondering like, gosh, that was just, I've seen people call, get them out, man, man. <laughs> My bad, uh, but, I've seen people call stuff. I've seen passing the friends call for less, you know, like way less, like man, less little to no contact, man. But to hit someone before they, before the ball even gets there, is hit in, the, in mid air in the rule book. That is pass interference. Shoot. That could have been, that could have been a personal foul. He should have. It should have been a personal foul. I mean, he blatantly hit him off the ground before the ball was even like remotely five yards from him. That's what I'm saying. Like you, you could have called that. You could have called that anything. It could have been a like playing for anything. With the lights out, Stevie Wonder could have saw that. Man, look, that's what I was saying. Like that, I looked down. Like man, they don't call nothing. So I was like, oh man, that that threw that threw for a loop, man. But like I said, man, it changed a lot mm-hmm. though, because like you said, Drew Brees could get another ring, and then we're not even having a conversation about him being one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Now we gotta ask ourselves, well, what did he really do? Like, it's not even like that. You know, y'all know what happened in that game, and it was such a crazy scenario after that though, because that was probably Drew Brees' last healthy season. Like, yeah, he started having issues with that shoulder because even I think the next season is when if I'm not I could be wrong, but if it might have been that season or it was the next season where over half of the season, he was the front runner. He was the front runner to win the MVP. hmm. But then he went and he missed like three or he missed like those four games. And then Mahomes ended up winning the MVP because he went bananas. But if Breeze would have stayed healthy, he probably would have won his own. He never won a regular season MVP, which is another crazy statistic that I still can't wrap my head around. But, yeah, I think that was his last fully healthy season. Right. You know, so and then the course of, of history, you know, like him trying to win more games, you know, and they really never really had a chance to rebuild after him, which, like, keep in, keep in mind, mm-hmm. I'm not even saying – I'm not even saying like they sucked or whatever. I'm not saying that at all. But he was trying to get back to the Super Bowl, which is what he's supposed to do, right? But because of that, they really never had a plan after him. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Casey Hill. He's cool. He can do a whole lot. 
but he is not a quarterback. Bro, that was never a good no. Not a quarterback. And they had chances, dude. They had chances to, to draft quarterbacks, man. They had chances. They could have drafted Lamar Jackson, but they went and they took Andrew Speed instead. So you know. But then, you know, I think about, you know, it's just some just some bad luck scenarios because you look at Jameis Winston. Because Jameis Winston, I felt like before the knee injury, I felt like mm-hmm. he was the guy y'all needed because he had a new yeah. start and I felt like he was maturing, you know, like he was yeah. maturing. And he had the arm that Breeze didn't have. He Man, can open the offense up. Look, he threw a pass, and I was like, yo, Breeze ain't doing that. That's a cannon right there. <laughs> That's a cannon, man. He threw that. I'm, that I game, I, I, his I, last game where they got knocked out by Tampa, they ran a freaking play. They just let Jamison for one play, bro. That dude opened that freaking top and dropped that freaking ball like 67 yards. I'm like, golly. I said, yeah, we can't do that with. <laughs> and that's no that's no knock on Drew Brees, but he's never always he's never had the strongest arm, and now you're having issues with your throwing shoulder. I mean, it it, it happens. Right. It never it never never really materialized after that, you know. So I think right now, you know, we're looking at that till now, right? So obviously we know mm-hmm. Drew Brees. That was probably his healthiest season after that. Then mm-hmm. the quarterback search didn't really go anywhere after that. So now we're looking at we move into this season. You have Derek Carr, and he has his ups and downs, right? But as we discussed in this show, he's the best quarterback in the division right now. Oh he's yeah, down. that's a landslide, dude. That's not he's the best quarterback. So I'm looking at like this is the best chance to move past that Drew Brees era, you know, mm-hmm. to start to like, okay, you have to, we got to move on from that. Drew Brees was great, great for the city, you know, which I personally think is the biggest impact he's had on the Saints ever. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. he can win a Super Bowl. He can do all these things, all these yards, stats, but his impact on the city, just restoring what the Saints mean to New Orleans was far more important than any Super Bowl that they could have won. It just made it better mm-hmm. than they won, but it was good football being played before they won that Super Bowl uh, when he got there. So now it's really good, mm-hmm. you know. But now you got a chance to kind of move past that. You never had a chance to really just rest after that, you know. Like, gosh, we mm-hmm. just had one of the greatest quarterbacks ever play the game. Like, Oof, now we can just relax and move on. This would be a good time to do it, you know, with Derek Carr. Let's get to the playoffs with him, and let's see where we can go because we got a good team. You know, y'all got a good team. This is what they should be saying. We have the best chance to win right now Uh playoffs. They do. They're loaded. If he puts everything together and he can cut out on some of those turnovers, he's – I think there are more pros than cons. Obviously, we. I think he makes bonehead throws sometimes, and he can give the ball away. Yeah. But if he can knock back on that, and he can lean on like not lean on the defense, but if he can just play his game, he's got weapons, and let that defense play. They're a freaking dark horse in the NFC. Not saying they're on the same level as the Niners or the Eagles, but man, you 
Dude, you never know. When those playoffs start, dude, those rankings or whoever's got home field advantage, that don't matter. It really don't. Anything's possible when you get to the playoffs. Listen, and that's that's my point, man. That's my point. Anything can happen in the playoffs, man. But this mm-hmm. team this year that y'all have should be in the playoffs. I don't care if it's a wild card or a first round bye or whatever. If they're not, then you're definitely you're looking at your head coach like, yeah, dude, like this just ain't gonna work. And 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 since we on head coaches, before we go into our top five segment. I've never been sold on Dennis Allen. Never. Dennis Allen is one. He's a genius on defense. The dude can call. He can run defenses. He's a monster defensive coordinator. I just feel like, and I'm not being disrespectful. You've worked hard. You've gotten to this point, and I hope he succeeds. But I like to see people prove the doubters wrong. But. He did not show me anything last year that just made me like, okay, I'm looking forward to next year. Because no, because you guys were thinking on who? Y'all had nobody. Y'all banking on Andy Dalton. Y'all banking on Trevor Simeon. Y'all were banking on James Winston. Y'all were banking on Taysom Hill. You've got weapons. You've got an awesome defense. You just need a plug-and-play. Now you've got that plug-and-play, and he's not – he doesn't have to be a bridge quarterback. He doesn't have to be a freaking system quarterback. He's not that. He can he can play. And now he gets a fresh start. He doesn't have the pressure of being with the Raiders anymore. He's with a guy that he feels comfortable with, and he's got – he's still got weapons, but he actually is a defense now. He's never had a defense. So, I mean, anything's possible, man. If confidence is there and defense is playing good, he could really show out. Yeah, man. It just remains to be seen, man. But I, like I said, we've said on this in the show that the Saints have the best chance to win that division, hands down, if we're looking at quarterbacks. So, they show play, they yep. paid him like, like a guy they're going to build around. So, hey, you might mm-hmm. as well start right there, man. But – you're right. But, hey, we're going to our favorite segment, man, our top five segment, man. So today's top five segment is, well, we're going to break it down into two two today because, you know, we extra like that. But, uh, but Brandon's going to have his top five worst collapses in NFL history, and then I'm going to do – the worst collapses in college football history. So since this is his creation, man, I want I want him to start, man. Go ahead. You start, man. So all, all of these there are, and when we say collapses, I don't when I say collapses, I don't mean like when you when you go online and you just say just say events you're researching. Most of the time you say collapses, people look at it like over a certain period of time. But I look at it, there's the game and the team either just flat out doesn't show up or they build up something and just somewhere along the lines it just falls off the edge of a cliff so with me i've got five games where that is very prevalent where just things just did not go how people would expect uh my number five i've got the 2011 nfc wildcard game between the saints and the seahawks and you kind of touched base on this earlier 
That Seahawks team was the first team to have a losing record and make the playoffs at seven and nine. The Saints were eleven and five. The Saints were hot. This is early two thousand early twenty tens. Breeze was I think he might have threw for five thousand yards this season. Yep. They were favored. But the Saints let the Seahawks hang with them almost all game. The Seahawks were going blow for blow with them. And it came down to in the fourth quarter, and this wasn't the last drive. Obviously, they both scored after. Man, this is one of the most disgusting plays. It just it irks my nerves to watch it to this day. Beastquake. <laughs> yeah, beastquake. Guy <laughs> hands Ooh. off the ball to Marshawn Lynch. He gets to he gets to the line of scrimmage, breaks the tackle. He gets to the second level. Gets all the safeties and the backers are at. Breaks a tackle. Breaks another tackle. Tends to break another tackle, another tackle, another tackle, and proceeds to run to the end zone, jump, grab his crotch, and touchdown, 67 yards. This was demoralizing because you got to think, this is the year after the Saints won the Super Bowl. So they're the favorite to try to run it back and go again. So when you see Seattle, I'm not saying you think that you're going to run through them, but you got to be thinking, and we can win this game we're going to get through the division, wild card round, whatever. And they let them hang with them. And when they did that, that sealed it, bro. Because, I mean, the Saints went on the score. But Seattle got the ball back, and they scored, and they they pretty much chewed the clock, man. The Saints gave up 41 points to Seattle, 41 to 36. And we've talked about how historically bad, and this is going into that era where Reeves was playing better than any quarterback I've ever seen. But Reeves could drop 35 points a game. But their defenses were so bad that they still would not win games. This is like pretty much the beginning of that, where you had Steve Spagnuolo that Cam does not like at all, and guys like Rob Ryan that, man, they just – this is a prime example of your favorite and man, you just gave up way too many points. There's no way they should have gave up 41 points in a wild card game to a team like Seattle at all. Hey, but I'm glad we didn't play y'all because if we got in there, we wasn't doing that. <laughs> we wasn't doing that. <laughs> so I'm good. My, uh, my number is dealing with another head coach that Cam really loves, and that's Bill O'Brien. Man, look, don't talk about it. And we'll go <laughs> 20. We're going to go to 2020 AFC Division around. The Houston Texans are playing the Kansas City Chiefs. We're going into the second quarter. Texans kick another field goal. They're up 24 to nothing on Kansas City with 10 minutes and some change up on the clock before the end of the half. Kansas City proceeds to score four touchdowns in that 10-minute time span before the end of the half. Are you serious? Four touchdowns. Are you serious? Houston, Houston was up 24 nothing with 10, <laughs> 10 minutes of change. Kansas City, before the end of the half, by end of four, before the end of the first half, dropped four touchdowns. We go into the second half. Houston scores one touchdown in the second half. Kansas City drops another 24 point in the second half. Wow. The final score is 51 to 51 to 31. Wow. One of the worst coaching debacles that I've ever seen because Deshaun Watson and that Texas team were hot. And they came out hot. They didn't Kansas City came out flat that game. There is no way in hell 
You have a 24-point lead against a team like that with Mahomes, and you let that crumble. There's no way your offense should be giving the ball back to the defense four times within a 10-minute time span. Your defense is so tired, they give up four touchdowns in 10 minutes. What the hell is going on? And then you proceed going to the second half. And Kansas City's hot off that momentum in the first half. You score seven points, and you go another 24 on defense. You completely ruin your chance of making a run because that team was good, man. Houston was good at that point. But when you have a guy who, I i mean, I would call the Mad Hatter of the NFL, he completely bossed it. There's no way in hell. No way. Not with that team being that good. And Kansas City's amazing. There's no way you jump out that hot and just completely let off like that. Yeah, man. Um, it's funny you say that because I was actually uh, at basic training uh, when I heard uh, about the game, but I never knew the score of it. And I never knew how they lost. So I didn't know it went like that at all. That yeah, He deserved, was, he deserved to be fired. That. He deserved to be fired after that. Okay. That was you know, you, you don't do that. You deserve to be fired after that. You got a chance to get Mahomes now, out the and I want to say, I want to say that I want to say that's when he got fired too. That off season, they had a couple of years where they were just hiring, firing coaches. So y'all showed his last game, Coach Houston. And then you hey, can't you know come what? out. You can't tell me you can come out against the number one team in the conference, and you've got it in all of your hand, and you literally just nope. Nah, man. He's no way. Yeah, I, you know I don't like Bill O'Brien, so that's what he get. <laughs> so my number three, and I don't really like talking about this game, and you know I don't like talking about this game, but I'm gonna talk about this game, and that's Super Bowl Forty Two. Giants. <laughs> you have you have an underdog. You have an underdog Giants team that won nine games under Tom Coughlin. Wasn't expected to do anything in the playoffs, and they go on a run. And they make a Cinderella. They make it all the way to the Super Bowl. But who would they play? Quite possibly one of the most dominant offenses in NFL history. Mm. The New England Patriots, 18-0, trying to go for the 72 Dolphins to be the second team to ever go undefeated. That is the most dominant offense that I have ever watched. When you've got Brady, you've got Falk, you've got Randy Moss, you've got Wes Welker. Brady's thrown for, I think at the time it was a record, 50 touchdowns before Peyton Manning went on and he broke it a few years later. But, man, uh, it, it was a game, and it was a good game, really good game, but there's no way that a historically great offense like that drops 14 points. And that's it. All they score was 14. 14, bro. Just could not get it together on offense. And the Patriots defense only gave up 17 points. But mm-hmm. Brady and them just could not get it. You, you're playing in Strahan. You're playing in Spokesy Uminyara. I think this Tuck? is right before DP started. Justin Tucker was really good. Not just Justin Tuck. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Justin Tuck. Man, they were getting pressure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I like Justin Yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but man, like 
when it's not even the score. When you think of how historic of a season this was, yeah, 18-0, you are one game away from tying the 72 Dolphins and probably being crowned the best team in NFL history. Yeah. Hands down. Your quarterback's playing better than anybody up to that point. Your defense is solid. Any Bill Belichick defense is going to be solid. But, man, I remember watching that game live, and I remember seeing Eli Manning drop back on that one play. Guy goes to wrap him up. I'm like, cool, we've got him sacked. He's done. Dude, escapes. About to get wrapped up again. Gets the jersey pulled off, scrambles to the right, and just throws up a Hail Mary ball. And David Tyree pre- David Tyree proceeds to freaking go glue hands and catch the ball to his helmet in probably one of the craziest plays in Super Bowl history, which pretty much sucked all of the momentum and all the air out of the room. I feel like you probably could have heard a pin drop when that happened. And, man, they proceeded to go down the field and score, man. Plastico Burris, you talked about him, man. He had a really good game. And he proceeded to have the game-winning touchdown as well, man. I mean, it from a – just from a historical standpoint, this is one of the greatest collapses ever because, I mean, if you're going to lose to anybody, why would you lose to the Giants? And why are you always scoring two touchdowns in the Super Bowl? I mean, it, it's crazy. And I don't think people really realize how crazy it is. you got a team that's not lost 18 games in a row. And you lose to a team in the Super Bowl that probably shouldn't have been in the Super Bowl at 9-7. and seven. Not saying they didn't earn it, but I mean, just from a record standpoint, that's pretty crazy when you think about it. Yeah, man, that's one of the craziest games I've seen, man. But I to to give some pushback on it, man. Brady wasn't getting hit like that all season. That defensive line was tearing him. No, but up. still, that's still a collapse, though. I feel like you still have to put it together. Like, you yeah, no, to, no, no. I'm not. I'm not minimizing this collapse. I'm just saying. That defensive line deserves some credit too, because they came in like, mm-hmm. yo, we gotta hit him. We can't let him just stand back there and beat us. We have to hit him. And straight hand mm-hmm. made it clear. We gotta put him on his tail. And they did. They did. Kind of what uh what the Patriots did to Donovan McNabb in that Super Bowl when the Eagles was in there. Uh they hit him. Mm-hmm. They hit him a lot. And that changed the whole game for them. And that changed the whole game for the Giants, man. It took a couple lucky plays, but, hey, as long as you stay in the game, you can still win. And they they did. But that was a good game, period. That was one of the best Super Bowls ever. Like, that's at least top ten. I agree. At least top ten. I agree. Because it was exciting, yeah. So, yeah. Now, if we're on the subject of Super Bowls, you're at number two. I'm going to talk about another Super Bowl, but it's got to be one of the ugliest Super Bowls of the modern era. I'm talking about Super Bowl 48 between the Denver Broncos and the Seattle Seahawks. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where Peyton Manning's coming off a historic season. He's broken the touchdown record. He's broken the yards record. He's got Eric Decker. He's got Wes Welker. He's got Julius Thomas. He's got Darius Thomas. you got Von Miller, all them boys on defense. And you flat out lay a goose egg you don't score till pretty much the end of the pretty much in garbage time. You got 43 points. That Broncos defense gives up 43 points, and all that offense can do is score eight points. Man. 43 to eight. That was nasty. They, 
Dude, look, and I was t- saying the Patriots struggled on offense, but you would have had to watch this game to really just – it was done from the first play, dude. You could just tell. Like, there was no momentum. There was no energy. Seattle came in there and said, you know, maybe we're not favoring. Oh, but we're going to punch you in the mouth, and you're going to struggle. And they struggle. Hashtag struggle. Um, they struggle from the beginning. They seem like seem – They like had pressure on Peyton all game. game. Yeah, they man. had pressure on him all game. That secondary was locked down. Legion of man to say Peyton Manning had one of the greatest statistical seasons. Their offense was red hot, man. They had no flaws. They had no weaknesses. And Seattle flat out just put them on their butt and kept them on their butt the entire game. You mean to tell me you take one of the greatest quarterbacks ever in the Super Bowl and he only scores eight points? And you proceed to score 43 with a guy like in his second or third year, Russell Wilson. You drop 43. Man. But, like, but, but you got like, the magnitude. The magnitude of the magnitude of that game. They was faster than them from the beginning, bro. Like defensively, mm-hmm. they couldn't stop their pass rush. Offensively, those dudes uh Doug Baldwin and and whoever the other dude is, man, they was just killing they was they cornerbacks on. I mean, they was faster than them on offense too. Throw they weren't in. even getting pressure. They weren't even getting pressure on Russell like that. Man, throw in Marshawn You know, mm-hmm. throw in him like they was just that was just a horrible matchup, man. Now I will say this. If the game was played inside, it might have been different. Because remember, that was outside. Yes, yes and no. I still think that Seattle would have won. But I think yeah. Denver may have scored points. But, man, there's just no way you go into that game and drop eight points, bro. There's no way. No, that's not. That's not. No a, way. That is the worst. That is the worst Super Bowl I've ever watched. Had the. Pleasure. I didn't even gonna say pleasure because I didn't have any pleasure in watching that game. That game was over from the first kickoff. I mean, look, we talk a lot about games that you guys should go back and watch. Don't. You could just click and just get the box. That's it's not as much as it gets, bro. Yeah, that's ugly. If I'm not mistaken, that's like the worst Super Bowl that I've ever seen. Like every uh, I think it's the worst that I've ever seen, hands down. I don't think there's another one that I've watched yeah, that I'm like, either. man. Like me even either. like even those older games, like I think they had that game, what was it? San Francisco had Elway, and they didn't even get blown out that bad. Like they got blown out, but it wasn't that ugly. Yeah, but at least but people don't understand they had the lead in that game before they got blown out fifty five to ten. It was seven to zero, like in the first <laughs> quarter or something. <laughs> Yeah. This Denver Broncos team never had the lead. That was over with, bro. <laughs> Man, that was done, bro. And then you let Percy. What well, what messed me up, right? Okay, so it wasn't that bad, like in the first half. Like it was still manageable in the first half. Yeah, a little bit, but they picked it up in the second. No, nah, man, when when Percy Harvin took that punt return back for a touchdown, bro, I was like, oh, it's over, man. Y'all ain't coming back. Because how you come out the locker room not motivated and you give a, a punt return? Come on, to a dude that only played a little bit all season. He come back for the Super Bowl and score a punt return on you. Come on, man. That was it. Mm-hmm. I knew it was over after that. Nope. 
Because I was like, well, maybe Peyton Manning will come back with a plan, man. He always has a plan. Mm-hmm. You ain't got a plan for that. Nah, the sheriff, <laughs> the sheriff wasn't out, bro. Nah, bro. <laughs> he was off. He was off that day. The sheriff was off. That's, his, that's probably his ugliest game I've ever watched. Um, it's one of his ugliest games. Ugly in terms of ugly in terms of like the result. But a uh, ugly a uh, uglier game was the AFC Championship game he played against New England when they when they really had a good team with the Colts. And you had Marvin yeah. Harrison, and you had Edron James and you had a bunch of guys on defense. Like that was the ugly game cuz it was cold, it was snowy, it was ugly, man. So that that was my ugly performance because I really thought there was. My, uh, my number one probably isn't going to surprise you. I mean, dude. I mean, when you think of choke or collapse, and you think of NFL, this is the game that everybody points to. Pretty sure you're going to know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Super Bowl Fifty One. Oh, I've Atlanta. talked about it before. Atlanta. I've talked about it before, and all you got to say is one thing, and that's twenty-eight to three. Man, the Falcons had a good team, and they came out red hot, dude. We could not stop them at all. That offense was rolling with Julio and Matt Ryan and them guys. 28-3, and I'm sitting there in my seat like, we really about to get our cheese clapped by Matt Ryan, by Matty Ice. But, man, when I tell you it's like when you walked in the room and you flipped the switch – and Tom Brady's like, nah, we're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. And Dante Hightower and that defense are like, nah, we're not going to do that. Nah. Mm-hmm. And they completely shut down. And Matt Ryan was the league MVP. Yes, he played he really good that year. Yes, he was. New England came out flat on offense. They came out flat on offense and defense. They could not get anything going. But when I said they turned the offense and defense, turned the switch on, and Matt Ryan could not do anything. And Tom Brady could not miss. He was hitting everybody. That, that that secondary was getting torched the rest of that entire game. They was. And, man, we talk about miraculous catches. We talk about David Tyree's catch. But, man, that Julian Edelman catch where he's falling and he's juggling the ball. It's got to be one of the most athletic and most spontaneous awareness catches I've ever seen. That, that game, that play, that play was the opinion of that game. Just Falcons just <laughs> – Y'all just, y'all just not, y'all can't get it up, bro. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not even going to say the Patriots weren't favorite. We still had Gronk. We still had Emin. We still had Amendola. We still had all the guys. And the Falcons had the game. And Kyle Shanahan had some very uh, questionable call They were not trying to chew clock. They were playing very risky. They were playing very aggressive when they didn't have to be. Because you're in the third quarter. I Get that ball from my tailback and chew and clock because I'm not trying to be aggressive and have to give the ball back to Tom Brady because Tom Brady can turn it on whenever the hell he wants. And that's what happened. They started giving New England the ball back, driving, scoring, driving, scoring. Before you know it, we're, we're pretty much tie game. And they're sitting there like, what the happened? That is the biggest choke job I've ever seen in NFL history. You just – you can't tell me and on the biggest stage of them all. You're up 25 points on a guy who's considered to be one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. And you have the game in your hand. All you have to do is chew clock, get down the field, and just score points however you can. 
But being overly aggressive on offense and giving the ball back and your defense is tired, your defense keeps getting t- more tired, more tired, New England just keeps scoring, scoring, scoring. I mean, dude, I mean, there's no way that game should have went like that. A lot of people thought that that game was rigged because of how crazy it was. Nah, but it was definitely one of the most crazy – that's definitely one of the craziest games that I've had the pleasure of. I, I got to watch almost all of our Super Bowls live that we played, and that one's got to be like my favorite one that I could go back and watch whenever I want because it's just crazy because it didn't feel real. And when it happens, you're just sitting there like, man, how the hell did we just do that? Uh, so, all right. So, all right. Great, great list. Great list. So, going into this one, all right. So, I figure I like – Atlanta was up, right? All right, cool, right? Because I knew they was they was an exciting team, you know. And uh, I was like, okay, you know, they got some things. So I don't fault them for being aggressive because that's how you put Tom Brady down. The Eagles did that. They stayed on them all game. They they kept scoring because I felt like if if they would have ran the ball more. Brady would have done exactly what he did anyway, because yeah, well, I think you put yourself in a better position though. It, it does. At least you're two and clock. It does. I, I thought I thought they would be more balanced, but that wasn't their team. They was kind of an air raid mm-hmm. NFL team. You know that's kind of how it was. Uh, single back with uh, Freeman doing his thing, but. Um, they was just kind of a high flying team. That's just what they were. So they that's how they got there. That's how they was gonna play. And I mean, it could have worked against somebody that's not Bill Belichick. Because if you know, <laughs> if I'm, I'm serious, if you know your Bill Belichick history, everywhere he's gone, his defenses have been good. Everywhere doesn't mm-hmm. matter. So. I take you back to when he was with the Bills. This is the same when he's with the Patriots early when they played the Bills in the Super Bowl. That's what I meant to say. That same scenario, the same no huddle, air raid NFL team that the Bills were in the 90s, that's the same team that the Atlanta Falcons was. They was fast. They knew how to pass the ball. They could get you for 500 passing yards and 40 touchdowns before you knew it, right? But if you put a cage in front of them to where they can't do it, what I mean by cage is a zone defense, they can't do that. Mm-hmm. They can't run that fast because the windows is not open. Now you add people mm-hmm. like Dante Hightower or you add people like um, uh, Devin Lawrence, Lawrence Taylor when he was winning with the Giants, I mean. Like you add people like that that can can get Mm -hmm. to the quarterback, right? In a zone. So he literally Mm. did the same thing to that team that he did to the Bills when he was the deepest according of the Giants. I'm not going to rush that many Mm -hmm. people. And when I do, it's only going to be a few people and we're going to run a zone. And once he put that zone in there and it started to shut down that speed, that's really what led them to having three and outs all the time because they literally couldn't mm. get up and go like they wanted to, you know? So it, it was great to see him employ that plan because it worked in and it works again. 
you know, and mm-hmm. and you're gonna like my my top five because it does include a Matt Ryan reference. So Oof. you're gonna you're not you're not even gonna see this coming at all. But to, all right. to, to close in on yours, man, that was a great game, and you know that show that Brady man, he's got the stones to come back in anything, man. And that was just a great game, man. I knew Brady was going to come back, though. I was like, it may, if I didn't know they was going to win, but I was like, they're not going to get blown out. But no, the fact, that, won, the fact, the fact that, they, that we won in that fashion, like, he was going to come back and score points, but I'm like, but the way we won, that's why it was surreal. I'm like, damn, y'all really just dropped the bag, bro. Like, completely dropped it, bro. <laughs> But I didn't think I didn't think Edelman was going to win MVP though. That did he win MVP or was that another? He, I'm pretty sure he won the Super Bowl MVP, dude. I mean, he but, was clutch. He had I some thought, really clutch I plays. It was James White though, because he had like ten catches that running. Yeah, he too. played really good too. Yeah, so I thought mm-hmm. it was going to be James White. They both had good cases. Yeah, I'd have to go back and check, but they both had really good cases to win it though. Agreed. Agreed. So, all right, man, great list, man. Well, here are my top five uh, college football collapses, right? I told you it was going to be a Matt Ryan uh, reference, man. So, here we go. Number five, 2007 was one of the best college football seasons ever, man, Uh, culminating Mm -hmm. in uh, LSU winning a national championship with two losses, which hadn't happened in a very long time, right? Now, a lot of stuff had Mm -hmm. to happen, right, for them to win, would get Mm -hmm. in there with two losses. One of those things was Boston College in 2007. This is a team that started Mm -hmm. 8-0. And guess who their quarterback was? Matt Ryan. So, foreshadowing to your number one NFL collapse. His collapse days started in college. They were eight and zero to start, <laughs> and they dropped the ball all the way into the bowl game. Um, I don't oh, think they won. Man. I didn't put that uh that stat down, but that was the most winningest season in Boston College history. And yeah, yeah, eight mm-hmm. games, and uh, they might have fin. They might have <laughs> finished with nine. But they Dude, that's that's games. like they haven't won nothing since then. That was their most winning yeah, season. Them and Matt Ryan are a really good marriage thing because that that screams Matt Ryan. They, that was their best <laughs> season to date. I think nine mm-hmm. and four, maybe something like that. But they started out eight and zero, and they lost to Temple. And I think Temple won one game that year. Oof. One game. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, man. Like I said, 07 was a crazy year. And you can see if you lose the Temple, bro. There you go. So, mm-hmm. number five, 07 Boston College. You're on the list. Sorry, Matt Ryan. You, you collapsed. <laughs> okay. Number four <laughs> on my list, man. Uh, Kevin Sumlin's Texas A&M team from 2014 to 2016. Those teams were yeah, once Johnny, Johnny. Those teams were collapse friendly. Look, 
I'll break it down to you. Oh right? man, it was. So I, I'll break it down to you. It was so, so bad. All right, so 2014, oh, first year so of the playoffs, they get in the in our the first rankings to be released. They were number four. They ain't been there since. So what does that do? <laughs> they ain't been there since. Oh man, that was from so bad. 20, so from 2014 to 2016. Up until the Bama game, they were always undefeated. I'm talking about six and zero, seven and zero. But after that game, they would lose probably all the games after that. Each of those seasons, look, man. I don't want to bash the dude while he's down, man. Obviously, you know he lost his job or whatever. After that, but you can't go seven and zero and finish the season seven and five. It's just not you're oh, not man. you're not gonna oh. keep your job, man. But those three Dude, seasons, it was so those three seasons were the biggest collapses I've ever seen in SEC history for real. Because those teams were stacked, they gave them a bunch of money, and they increased the stadium capacity to like 110,000. So now you got more mm. people there. It's already loud anyway. So you brought in all this money and y'all can't win, man. And they're giving you more money. So biggest collapse, Texas A&M team over a three-year stretch. All their games in the second half of their season, they will lose. So – Kevin Sumlin's Texas A&M team. Yeah, they really like giving money to guys who like to choke, huh? Man. They really like giving money to guys who just ain't going to get it done. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> man. Gosh, man. That's funny you say that. I had to think about that, bro. Jimbo Fisher got more. He got more. Um, Jimbo got, got like a hundred. He got like a big dude. He got like a John Gruden contract, bro. Like yeah. big time. God damn. <laughs> that's that's true. That's that's true. That's true. I ain't even gonna lie to you. That's that's sad. Oh, but, oh man. But all right, we ain't gonna beat we ain't gonna beat Kevin Sumlin and Jimbo Fisher down today. But that's sad. <laughs> all right, number three, man. Number three is another. Like I said, 07 was a crazy year, man. Crazy year for college football. We saw a lot of superstars, a lot of crazy games, crazy upsets, man. But my biggest collapse, man, is actually West Virginia. West Virginia in 2007 had one job. A Thursday night game against a non-bowl eligible pit team. All you had to do was win, and you're in a national championship game. They lost 13 and 9. On a Thursday, <laughs> on a Thursday night game against a nine bowl eligible pit team, and you lose 13 and 9. And they ain't never been back since. Keep in mind, they went to like the Fiesta Bowl or whatever, but you had one job. Yeah, but dude, they ain't never been that good since. One job. All you got to do is win Damn. that game, bro. You got Steve Damn, Slayton right. and Pat White. You got Steve Slayton and Pat White. I ride with them any day. And you score nine points, 
on mm-hmm. a Thursday against a non-bowl eligible pit team. That's a collapse. But that's that crazy, is, bro. But that is, but that is that's- seven. That is 2007 college football season to a T because didn't nobody see that coming. Nobody. I miss them days. Man, nobody saw that coming, dog. And, of course, Mizzou ended up losing uh, later uh, on championship weekend um, mm-hmm. to Oklahoma, which set up LSU and Ohio State being in the championship game. But that was the biggest collapse as far as I'm concerned, man, because – you can't do that. You got one win, and you in the national championship game. You can't lose to a non. If you're gonna lose, don't drop a game to somebody like that, man. But West you know Virginia what? played a lot of quality teams. But you know what? It's fair to say that Pitt is a rival. So hey, rivalry games go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they rivalry, wanted it more. Rivalry games can go either way. Records don't really matter, and they got caught up that night. So, but that's number three, man. That's uh, that's Rich Rodriguez right there, bro. There you go. You already know how I feel about Rich Rod. Thank you so much for not taking the Alabama job, baby. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. Glad you passed up on it, dog. Thank you, man. Thank you. But 10 million at Arizona. I think I would rather know. But 10 million dollars at Arizona? God dang. That's a lot to lose like nine games. I think he's still floating around somewhere. Yeah, he's like office coordinator somewhere, but Definitely not what he was supposed to be. Definitely not. <laughs> nah, definitely not, man. But hey, you get bought out like three times, bro. He living off like a hundred million right now because he ain't got bought out a few times. <laughs> so he good. He good. He good, man. He ain't got a coach no more. That's how good he is. But all right, number two, mm-hmm. man. This is not a team. Well, a team, but not like a season or whatever. This is a program collapse. So I take you back to 2005, man. Okay. 2005, the, the Colorado Buffaloes, man. This is a team that started out, I think, 7 and 0 and proceeded to lose. Now, keep in mind, keep in mind, these are, these are close losses, man. Not, you know, nothing like that, right? But the magnitude of them not striking while the iron is hot has completely ruined that program. Now, Dion mm-hmm. has come back to college football, and he's going to rebuild them. But 2005, they collapsed and lost to the eventual national championship team, the Texas Longhorns. They were in the Big 12. So mm-hmm. that team losing – that season completely derailed their program for watch this 10 years. They never had a winning season after that for 10 years. We're talking 05 mm-hmm. to 2015. Didn't win nothing after that. Translated to them, so they were still losing even when they left the Big 12 to the Pac 12, and they still struggled mediocrity up until, yeah, pretty much now. So, yeah. So there you go. That, that was 20 the, biggest, years later. The, the biggest collapse for a, a program that I've seen uh, in my research, man, because after that, they completely fell off the grid, man. We're going coaches to coaches. We're going uh, administration to administration, conference to conference. Like, Ooh. like 
Who was the coach at that time? I, I can't even tell you. It might have been. Uh, it might have been Darrell. Darrell. It, I, that name sounds familiar around that time because they had a guy named either Darrell or. Um, God, he was a coach of UCLA for a minute. Uh, New Heisel or something like that. Something like that. Yeah, that sounds that sounds familiar. Yeah, man. So, so yeah, man. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna look that up actually, man, because I want to know too. <laughs> uh, yeah, you got faster swingers. <laughs> so did the Gary Barnett? Since Gary Barnett. Not 2005. You said 2005 what? What happened? I said Gary Barnett was in 99 to 05. And then after 05, I guess he left. I don't remember what happened. Then Dan Hawkins was there for four years. And they ain't win nothing. After that. So, you know, mm-hmm. like I said, man, 05. And coach carousel. See? So, like I said, the program collapsed after that, man. And 10 years of mediocrity, and really longer than that, honestly, of mediocrity. Man, almost 20. Yep. And they had won a national championship in 1990. Um, but that was it, man. They ain't won nothing since. And that was a tough that, – that was a collapse, man. But even with all of that, they are not number one on my list. Number one on my list is 1999 Penn State. This was a team oh, that had yeah. LeVar Arrington, probably one of the greatest linebacker draft prospects ever, man. He had everything, size, speed, strength. But their team was supposed to be number one all year. They were supposed to go wire to wire, everything. This team was responsible for the biggest collapse on my list, man. I can't believe this. So you're 9 and 0. 9 and 0 going into a game against Minnesota. Okay? You number 2 in the country. Okay? So if I'm not mistaken, this is uh Florida State 99 Chris Weeke. Uh that reminds a bell. So they're probably number 1 hands down, right? So but what makes this collapse absolutely nuts is the fact that not only were they 9-0 coming into this game, they proceeded to lose three straight. Three straight. 9-0, and they dropped three. If that's not collapse, that is, man. And they were blowing people out. They were blowing people out, man. They were 9-0 and lost to Minnesota, Michigan, and Michigan State. Three losses in a row. So That's all conference games, too. Yep, so you ain't no, coming back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. no. Those are, those are all conference games. So you ain't coming back from that. So you lost the chance for the national championship and the Big, the big Ten championship. championship. Yep, and the Big Ten mm-hmm. championship. So – you're done. And they had the best team, ESPN, 
Sports Illustrated, everybody picked them to win. And that that would have been Joe Paterno's third national championship. I yeah, because he won two in the 80s. Yep, so that would have been his third national championship team, man. And first in the 90s going into the 2000s. So, uh, like I said, uh, mm-hmm. that would have been a good team, man. He had some great players, but biggest collapse most definitely, 99 Penn State. Wow. That's interesting, though. I kind of figured they would be somewhere in there. Oh, yeah, man. No doubt, man. They look, man. Like I said, I do did a little little fast research, man. Uh, but these stood out to me for real. Uh, Matt Ryan. I liked it though. I liked it. That was cool. It's definitely different for sure. Oh yeah, most definitely, man. Most definitely. Man. So, uh, like I said, man, this is the What If series, man. We starting it off, and obviously we needed uh to do our top five man we got to keep it going man so many top fives we can do man but before we get up out of here anything you gotta say man man i hope you guys like this series it's something that uh i hold dear and dear and i think it's something that's really cool and gives us the opportunity to talk and discuss and to have different perspectives about what we think should be where things could have been or where we would have wanted them to be uh, I think has been doing really good. Uh, man, we've been a steady climb. I mean, most people are looking at, oh, that's still small. But, man, I mean, you have a long time. You know, work really hard. I'm just really thankful for you guys and all of your support. But, man, we just would appreciate it if you just like this video. If you comment, subscribe, make sure you hit the bell notification. You don't miss a beat. Uh, we're going to continue to drop all kinds of videos. You've got college content. You've got NL content. If you just like top fives, we've got top five videos. We've got all kinds of stuff, and especially when we get into football season. You're going to have much more to watch. So we just really appreciate if you would just check it out. And I think you really enjoy it. Man, couldn't have said it better myself, bro. So, like I said, it's Football From Mind Podcast, man. I'm Cam. That's Brandon. We up out of here. <laughs>